بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگس آف اللہ بی اپن یو او ویلکم ٹو انادر ایڈیشن آف دی بریکفسٹ شو ہے آن دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ٹوڈے از وینزڈے دی الیونتھ آف اکٹوبر ٹوینٹی ٹوینٹی تھری ود ماسف شجیل احمد انوسو نور الدین جہانگیر السلام علیکم ہائی ڈنگ دس دس مارننگ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس بی اپن یو ٹو ایم ڈوئنگ ویری ویل تھینک یو ویری مچ اینڈ اٹس گڈ ٹو بی بیک and uh, we've got a jam-packed program to go through absolutely. absolutely i mean we have uh, three main topics that we're going to be that we're going to be talking about um uh, in uh, in this show firstly after the news roundup we're going to be talking about um world sight day um which is actually going to be held tomorrow um the 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 12th of uh, 12th of uh, october but you know just to you know get you know be more aware about that what it is um raising more awareness in regards to in regards to you know sight and people's uh, people's ability to see we are going to be talking about that um as a, as a, as one of our first segments after that we're going to be talking about celebrating black history month of course it's october we have to talk about we have to talk about it um raising more awareness and uh, i mean the, the more we talk about it the more normal it will be and uh, <clears throat> talking about diversity diversity is something which is quite actually quite beautiful it's something that we should um you know we should celebrate not something that we should look at or look at in, in you know in, in a bad way um as well so we're going to be talking about that uh, a little bit later on and towards the latter part of the show we are going to be talking about uh, climate change in particular and how 32 countries are actually taken to court by six young people as young as 11 years old as well so that's something that we're going to be talking about a little bit a little bit later on and these are the three main topics that we're going to be talking about if you want to contribute to the show 02086877878 is the number for you to call as mentioned it's uh, it is going to be a jam packed show uh, with three main topics and obviously of course the you know the round up of the news um what's uh, you know what's been happening around the well, of course we know about um Palestine Israel the whole uh, conflict that's you know that's been going on the lives that has been that have been lost it's a, it's a devastating uh, state isn't it absolutely uh, i mean um it's um expected that the newspapers will obviously be covering this because mm-hmm. it's, it's a war that's going on it's a war that's um It's an ongoing it's, it's, war. It, but yeah. at this time, it's erupted in a way that it hasn't for a long time. And um, uh, for this reason, you know, the world is also able to see the atrocities being committed. It's on both sides, let's be clear. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. just... Uh, it's not just one-sided. It's not one-sided. It's, um, there's neither are the Israelis, uh, the Israeli government um, innocent, nor are the, or the, or the Palestinians or the Hamas, you can say. The Hamas are those who claim to be... those who, who want to regain the con- control but mm. there's a lot of innocent um Palestinians in Gaza who are suffering because of their actions as well and whatever loss of life there is is tragic in the at the end of the day mm. and um so obviously the the newspapers continue to lead with this um this Hamas attack on on Israel mm. um actually I think um something which has been said over and over again is that such such attacks don't stem from nothing Yeah. Um when you're forced to live in like an open air prison when your borders are all controlled when you're not allowed to leave nor nor you know come into the place um you know when your water is being shut off when your gas is being shut off when your you know electricity is being shut off 
what kind of life do you think people are living exactly. and eventually you, there's going to be some retaliatory uh, reaction and in the world has been warned about this for a long long time yeah you know and you know the world has been witnessing the atrocities being committed against them as well so it was just a matter of time before you know something like this happened yeah but the world's not being paying heed um but at the same time you know we do not condone any kind of violence um, and you know for the, for Hamas to go into Israel and to kill innocent people um is always something is, is absolutely uh, abhorrent and something that should not be happening at all um as his holiness hazrat mirza masur ahmed mm. may helper the worldwide head of the hamdi muslim community has, has um said over and over again the avenues of dialogue towards peace are the way forward and we should be de-escalating and exactly. we should not have all this exactly. in, you know, inflaming words from like the you know the us and other countries who are completely one-sided completely biased and you know they see one set of people as uh, humans and the other mm. set as, as animals and that is these are words which i'm not making up these are words which have been used by israeli leaders as well mm. um and so if we're going to treat them like that then obviously there's going to be um a completely unfair and 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 biased treatment of the people there as well so i mean i have family there so i i know mm. i know i know a little bit of um what the, the feel is on the ground the tensions yeah. that are there yeah. and the fact that this can erupt to something much bigger and will it just be a one front war or a two front war there's 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 talks of also syria you know missiles being sent from syria mm. there's also talk of you know supplies to gaza um being sent through egypt and you know if this if this continues you know the involvement of iran as well supplying the weapons yeah that kind of thing is something which um the world should be fearful of and concerned about literally um you know there should be a, steps and actions there towards de-escalation that's first I mean, and foremost like you said his holiness has has sent has said for so many years now for yeah. for you know two decades now that we need to try our best to de-escalate you know any any possibility of a, of a war actually breaking out his holiness has been you know telling you know urging world leaders yeah also as well as you know influencers as well influencers in social media even religious leaders to stop you know stop trying to f- channel their you know their their hatred and you know they should they should make sure whatever they are saying whatever they're saying to the public um that it's not something that instigates even even more violence even more chaos even more disruption um you know sentiments such as you know give them hell or something like that you know other influencers have actually said that so it's something that <coughs> we need to look into Yeah I mean the financial times yeah. as well they've they've reported that um you know Israel's preparing for a ground invasion now which is obviously mm. not the step that we that we require that's not that's not but, something um, that we want as well they obviously they want to they want to you know have vengeance for what for what's happened to their people as well yeah um you know it's been it's been called the bloodiest war in the country's territory for decades mm. um on the other hand there's also news about um in in the UK about how you know labor leader Sir Keir Starmer has promised to bulldoze the planning system and work with private sector to unleash a big build across the UK as part of a radical action to accelerate house building um right. i think if you if you saw the clips as well there was also a protester who managed to get on stage and throw some glitter all over him and say uh, say you know the message that he had about um, you should it should be about the people and should be you know should be representing us more um so yeah. that was a bit of a blunder in, t- in terms of the security as well i don't know how but i was watching um i think it was sky news where their reporter was actually in jerusalem i think i was mentioning yeah. this earlier yeah, yeah yeah how you know he's reporting on this war going on but at the same time some breaking news has come through 
and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden he goes, Holly Willoughby has quit from <laughs> the, the morning show. <laughs> morning show yeah. And I was like, oh, it's going to be something massive, but oh, of course, yeah. course it's just a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of drama here and there. <laughs> I mean that's what I mean. You know, sometimes, sometimes. I mean, th- that's the thing. That's the power of, uh, of, uh, of the news as well, isn't it? The way they portray the news, the way they say the news, the words that they use, yeah, the narrative they have, the yeah. narrative that they have. It's it's so powerful that you know, if you're if you're just reading it blindly, or if you're watching it, if you're listening to it blindly, you're going to follow their agenda. You're going to become a sheep. I'll give you. I'll give you a good example of this. Like a yeah. lot of papers this morning. Have actually gone for this story about you know babies being beheaded, forty children shot dead in a single settlement, mm. families burnt alive. Um, so these are these are kind of things which are in the front on the front papers right yeah. now, front yeah. pages of the newspapers. But there's zero mention of the suffering. Well, you can say they'll ju- they'll just give a round number of how many Palestinians the, have the, died. On the other side, yeah. The thing about the word "died" is what they use for Palestinians. Whereas you know, forty for the for the Israelis, they use the word beheaded. They got been, they've been yeah, killed, killed. They've been massacred. Yeah. They've been Murdered, executed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally. So this kind of you know inflammatory word wording is what a lot of people yeah. have um, have have trouble with. And yeah, you know, the BBC and and its and its cohorts, they need to show a bit more justice in the way that they they represent um, both sides, and uh, <laughs> a country that's actually uh, had a major role in. Causing this issue in the first place, mm. and you know, I think again, we need to we need to tackle it at the root, and we need to understand why we are where we are today, exactly. and why after like seventy odd years, um, this conflict or you can say this war or the struggling of the Palestinians yeah. has has continued. Um, it is a shame. It is a shame. I mean, His Holiness actually gave a a His Holiness being the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the caliph, the fifth caliph. Of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he gave a, a a press release as well. I'll just uh, you know for the benefit of our listeners as well, just uh, read that out. His Holiness said that over the past few uh, over the past few days, hundreds of Israelis and Palestinians, including women, children, and the elderly, have been killed or injured as a result of senseless violence and bloodshed. The killing or harming of innocent civilians is a direct violation of the teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who taught that even in a state of warfare, no woman, child or elder should be targeted or harmed in any way, nor should any religious leader or place of worship be attacked. And His Holiness said that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community extends its deepest sympathies and prayers to all those who have been left bereaved or uh, affected in any way. Our hearts go out to all of them, to them all. We pray and urge for an immediate end to hostilities and for peace to prevail so that no more lives are lost. For for that, it is necessary that the channels of communication between relevant parties and nations remain open. Until a ceasefire occurs, any military action must uh, must uh, take any military action must ensure that civilians do not come to any harm. Furthermore, Muslim countries within the region should unite in an effort to establish peace and to ensure that the rights of those innocent Palestinian people who have no link with extremists are protected. We urged the United States and other influential nations to abstain from any actions or or statements that may further inflame the volatile situation. Instead, along the relevant international organizations, you should make every possible effort to 
urgently de-escalate the conflict and secure peace as soon as possible. Then His Holiness said and concluded that justice and equity are of paramount importance in achieving lasting and sustainable peace. Thus, all the major powers must focus on establishing long-term and sustainable peace based upon the principles of fairness and true justice. So that was uh, that was his uh, press release. I mean, there's um, there's so many things to, so many important points in there that he mentioned. Hmm. Um, obviously, the long-term peace is something which, and even even today, like a lot of people just just think about their short-term gain. Yeah, they think about what's gonna help them now, and they don't really think about like how we're actually gonna actually solve all these major issues and for the you know for the long term. Hmm. Um, He's talked about the the Muslim nations trying to unite as well to establish peace. Um, a, a lot of the times we see that they're completely disunited. Hmm. They are fighting amongst each other, if anything. Yeah, literally. And um, and you've seen that this is this is the kind of situation that the Muslim nation or the Muslim Ummah, whatever you want to call it, are in at the moment. And it's a shame because this is not the this is not what. Islam this came to do. Islam, Islam came literally. to unite the people. And came to bring make each other brothers and sisters. Yeah, and um, and we couldn't be further from the truth at the moment. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's you know that's the ongoing um, conflict or tensions which are going on over there. Um, something you know, t- talking about some some other news as well. Um, we know that bed bugs from uh, from France have actually come uh, and invaded. <laughs> Have they reached the UK now? They've reached the they reached the UK. Oh God. In fact, in fact, uh, London Mayor Sadiq Khan says that everything is being done to ensure the bedbug inf- uh, infestation uh, seen in France will not spread to the city's transport system. But we know that it has, you know, the, it has it has come into the UK as well. I'm feeling itchy already. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from me. <laughs> I think a psychological effect it's had on me. <laughs> so in in Paris, the the insects have been reported in schools, trains, hospitals, uh, cinemas, you know, public places. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Sidi Khan acknowledged acknowledged it was a real source of concern for people that it may spread in uh, in London. Especially the you know the you know the the transport of London and TfL was actually you know sort of considering you know what to do and thinking about you know closures maybe closures as well but also they have there were reports that they did find uh, these bed bugs uh, bed bugs in uh, you know on the trains on the oh, buses no. in the, on the once TfL. it's there then it's just like once it's there it's there isn't it. Millions of people could be catching it. That's the thing. He said this. He can't said that. I know people are, are are worried the bugs in Paris could cause the problem in London, and I've been in contact with TfL last week, and this and this weekend, making steps to ensure we don't have that problem. Regular cleaning of tubes and buses, and I'm uh, and I'm talking to Eurostar as well. We have one of the best regimes for cleaning our assets for a variety of reasons. We don't think those issues will arrive in London, but there will be no complacency from TFO, you know, he said. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, when it comes to cleanliness, we have been through that process as well during COVID. You know, we, you know, everything was sanitized, everything was cleaned on a regular basis yeah. to make sure that the coronavirus, it doesn't, it doesn't spread or, you know, it main, or, you kept know, at bay. kept yeah. at bay as well. Um, but so, you know, if we go back to, you know, you know, something, 
being you know not being that hygienic again being unhygienic not washing our hands not you know you know not being neat and tidy then obviously that's just giving room for these bed bugs and other sort of viruses and um creepy crawlies to come and infest us isn't it Absolutely. so we need to make we need to make sure that the good things that we learned during covid such as cleanliness we just you know why, people constantly washing their hands why, why don't we maintain <laughs> that isn't it why don't exactly. we maintain that so it's something that you know it doesn't take uh, it doesn't take long for us to you know wash your hands so you you know the, th- the thing is is that people a lot of people when they go outside um they come inside and they don't sort of they don't change their clothes some people would just you know even with their shoes yeah. even with their shoes they go to their rooms you know, with, they, they go to their rooms they even go to the toilet with the same shoes mm. and then they go to their rooms they, they sit on the sofa and they put the shoes on the sofa so it's it's just things like that isn't it yeah. and uh, even on the bed sometimes people will just wear their shoes on the bed and uh, just kick them off uh, when they want to sleep so it's <laughs> for us it seems very odd but for, for others it's like a habit so yeah. to them it might not seem so strange but we've That's seen true. how that That's can really true. spread like i think somebody even like um they did experiments scientific experiments to see how much you know how many germs and how much bacteria is actually on yeah. Uh, different parts of your clothing and stuff when you yeah. do come to back home <clears throat> the shoes is absolutely crazy because yeah. you're stepping on stepping on so many different things that you don't know exactly yeah, literally that's true that's true yeah. but you know is it's a, it is a cultural thing as well because f- say for us it's uh, you know i would never even wear you know the shoes i wear outside at home exactly as soon as you enter the house you take it off you take them off yeah you, the, you know like i said it's a cultural thing as well if you look at eastern <clears throat> If you look at Eastern Asian countries such as Japan, uh, Korea, yeah. they you know they literally have a place where they you know where they take the shoes off when you when you enter the house, or even before you enter the the actual house, you open the door and then there's a place where you take off your shoes and then you go inside and you know you either wear socks or you you go barefoot, and that and that is the norm. It's not a norm to wear shoes in the house, uh, even in some restaurants. In in Eastern European, uh, Eastern uh, Asian countries, some restaurants say that you have to take off your shoes to actually enter the restaurant. So that's how much they they even go, to you know, for their cleanliness as well. They they actually make sure that everything is clean. Um, I think even yeah. in the I think there were scenes at the World Cup as well, where yeah, yeah. the Japanese uh, supporters after the games, you can see that they're just cleaning up. They're the going detail. through all yeah. the different all the chairs and all the aisles and stuff, and they're just cleaning up, picking up all the rubbish that they can see. Mm. And that's something which is normal for them because it's been ingrained in them since they were children. Yeah. So that's uh, that kind of uh, culture, as, you, as you're speaking about, is. Um, is one which is admirable, which we, yeah, we should we should try to follow as much as we can. Where you see, can, yeah. you see the England supporters, the ones probably chucking all the glasses yeah. and all the cups and all the <laughs> rubbish around as well. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I said, it's a cultural thing as well. It's something that you're brought up with. Yeah. And uh, just specifically talking about from a from a, from an Islamic perspective, cleanliness is actually half of faith. And you know, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he he said that that cleanliness is a part of your faith. And in another place, cleanliness is half of your faith. So you know, without cleanliness, literally half of your faith is um, is is vanished. It's it's you know it's not there. Yeah, because obviously there's an intrinsic um, link between cleanliness and a lot of what we do yeah. as Muslims, whether it's prayer, whether it's you know getting changed, whether it's um, you know going to the mosque. All these things that they require a certain level of cleanliness for you for, exactly. for a Muslim. Exactly. And in other news, there is. Um, the unfortunate news that um, the Luton Airport flights yeah. have been suspended after a large car park fire. Hmm. 
So travel, you know, all flights have uh, been suspended and people have been asked not to travel there after a huge fire ripped through a t- terminal car park, um, which has, you know, and it suffered significant structural collapse. Up to 1,200 vehicles may have been in the car park and subsequently damaged, wow. the fire service has said. Yeah. Uh, four firefighters and an airport staff member were taken to hospital suffering the effects of, you know, breathing in the smoke as well. Mm. I mean, I've, I've seen scenes of it, it's like s- large fire, yeah. it looks like, Something like a forest fire going on. Oh wow! Um, but I mean, obviously, the, if there's so many cars parked there as well, yeah. I mean, it just takes one or two cars to set on fire for it to spread as well, isn't it? So absolutely, yeah. It is, uh, and it's an airport as well, so you know, there's a lot of engines there, and hopefully, it doesn't, you know, hopefully, it's, you know, they 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 keep it uh, minimal as much as possible. Yeah. But obviously, what the damage has done is done. Hopefully, I mean, it doesn't uh, yeah. you know it doesn't happen again. A lot of the a lot of the people are like scrambling to get all the luggage and to hmm. and to get catch a train or a bus or something a train to to get to the you know, the other airports. Yeah, where it's going to be even more congested now. A lot more people are going to be going to yeah. those ones. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Luton Airport uh, sort of needs to fix up anyway <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, but maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is a sign, but thankfully but, no one yeah. no one was injured aside from the ones that are mentioned. Hopefully mm. they you know we hope for them a quick recovery. Yeah. Um, but thankfully no no one was killed in in this incident. No, I mean that's that, that I mean that's I mean there is there's at least that positive, isn't it? That no one no one was actually harmed uh, or, or killed. Um, but still, hopefully hopefully it doesn't uh, doesn't happen again. Doesn't spread. And they keep the damage to, uh, as little as uh, as possible. Um, What's the weather telling us now? The weather. I mean, I was looking at the weather before as well. It's saying, it's suggesting that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a cloudy day today. Today is going to be quite all right, but then towards the towards the latter part of tonight, it's going to be a bit cloudy with some uh, with some rains rain. as well. Okay. And uh, <laughs> but uh, so it it is it is. You know, we, we are we are in autumn. It is autumn. It, yeah. it, it is autumn. Things are changing. Yeah, it is changing. Tomorrow it will be a cloudy day in in southern England and Wales tomorrow as well, with patchy light rain in in some places, a mix of uh, a mix of sun and patchy and patchy cloud further north, but cloudier in northern Scotland with showers in the far north. Obviously, I mean Scotland, you can expect it to be. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's either raining there or about to rain. I've been told. Yeah, literally, yeah, literally. <laughs> it's always grey, isn't it? <laughs> But um, Friday and on, on to the weekend is going to be rather cloudy and wet in England and Wales, uh, particularly on Friday. Um, but some some uh, some sunny spells further north, but showers in the north uh, in the northwestern area, uh, turning cold to the north on Saturday with showers, with uh, with snow on the hills by the end of the day and sunshine in the south, uh, with just the with just the odd shower here and there. And uh, it'll be it'll be a cold day on Sunday, dry with sunshine for most, but cloudier in the north and uh, west with some showers as well. So you can t- you can tell now that the you know we we are gonna hit the you know hit the rain. We are gonna hit the cold weather now, and uh, we need to get ready to wear, wear, wear you know wear our jackets now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's the so up and down though. That's why you never it's know. Up and, that's true. It's, it's it's like really cold one moment, and then the sun is out the next. Uh, super hot again. <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, I think I was looking at the forecast for next week as well, and the temperature is you know it ha- has dropped as well. So uh, you know, 
it's time to get the, it's time the for jumpers you. and jackets. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I mean, it, next week will be sort of mid uh, mid October, isn't it? Mid October or end of near the end of October. Yeah. Um. So you know, obviously, at the end of October, the time changes as well. We go one hour back, and uh, you know that is a sign that you know that's a sign that it's cold now. <laughs> and it's dark. I mean, even coming into the studio now, yeah. it's uh, it's dark, isn't it? Yeah, it's normally and, very nice it's, and bright. It's normally time. bright, uh, nice and bright, but you know it's dark. And now you know the sun is coming up, and uh, we are getting some 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 light, um, so daylight daylight hours. But still, you know we can you know in in a, in a couple of weeks it's still going to be dark, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so that's the that's the that's the weather and that's the news. Um, we're going to be taking a, a quick a quick and a short break. And right after when we come back, we're going to go into our first segment and talk about the, the first topic, uh, which is about uh, World Sight Day. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, welcome back to the breakfast show. And this part of the show, we are uh, talking about World Sight Day and how it's actually going to be held tomorrow, which is uh, Thursday, the 12th of October. And, uh, you know, just talking, you know, uh, giving more information in regards to this, because this year focuses on the importance of eye care in the in the workplace. And this uh, initiative is to help workers prioritize and care for their site and help eye care become more affordable and accessible for workers. And I can sort of um, agree with that as well, because, you know, going to going to the optician as well, it's quite expensive, isn't it? Going to the optician, getting a, getting a test done, or multiple tests done, then you know, picking your glasses or lens, whatever you want to yeah. put on. It's I mean you I mean you can tell us better, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean while I was while I was a student and it was it was all fine. Yeah, um, Obvi- obviously, yeah obviously, obviously. But when then once you're <laughs> once you're an adult, then you have to start paying for your <laughs> for everything and for everything, uh, isn't it? Yeah. You kind of become a little bit apprehensive about it, like um, you know, you already. I'm already taking care of all, everyone in my family's got glasses. Yeah, uh, my little yeah. kids have got glasses as well, unfortunately. But um, for them, it's free. But the main thing is like you want you want everyone's eye care to be good. You want um, that's true. You want to be regularly checking up and making sure that there's nothing wrong. Hmm. I mean, they can even find out things like if there's like diabetes or something like that when they do these eye tests. So um, there are a lot of multiple benefits to to getting hmm. your eyes checked, and especially in this day and age, you know how our, our eyes are always in front of screens. Um, you can't get away from screen time. Yeah, yeah the screens true. everywhere, and you know that kind of thing that can really affect um, someone's eyesight. Uh, I'm just unfortunate that it's probably hereditary in my <laughs> in my case where well, I've got a slight. It's not. It's mild. Let's say it's not too bad. Yeah. I have to wear. I have to wear glasses in terms of driving and stuff. But without mm-hmm. them, I can still see. They you can find but You can. You can. But you're right. Without, without. Yeah, yeah. Without glasses. Yeah, you're right. But a lot of people will be thinking like, this is not a priority for me. Like I can't afford these costs, especially it's in true. this. There's a living crisis, cost of living crisis. People are prioritizing just getting food to the tables and stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know, for them, eye care is something that they, they probably won't even be thinking about. 
So with, the, with this now, you know, I, mean, I think it's, it's it's the same as you know uh, uh, going to the dentist, isn't it? Yeah. Because going to if you're you know if you're in education if you're young, then obviously it's for free. Yeah. But if you're you know if you're an adult if you're working and uh, you know something goes wrong with your with your tooth. Yeah. Uh, or you know you have to take it out. Or there's a cavity or whatever. Um, you need to put a filling in. That can be quite expensive. Uh, going to going to see the going to see the dentist. And you know, getting regular checks and obviously fixing the problem as well, uh, that can be quite expensive. Just like you said, you know, we're going through we're going through a difficult a difficult time financially right now, and some people will say, you know, well, I'll just take some ibuprofen, I'll just take some medicine, and I'll yeah. just get over the pain. But you know, uh, you know, that's something that they don't prioritize. It's the same for eye care. I think uh, for a lot of people, um, a lot of people, it will be a secondary thing. Because nearly everyone on the planet will experience an eye care, an eye hit, an eye an eye health issue in their lifetime. However, more than a billion people worldwide cannot even access the service that they need to see clearly. And obviously, those people who are living in impoverished places, less economically developed places, countries, uh, you know, eye care is something which is a uh, you know, they don't even know anything about it. There's mm. you know, just little to nothing when it comes to eye clinics. Or opticians, or even doctors are specialized in eye care, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, this, it's good that we, in in one sense, these kind of days, they raise raise awareness about it, and and people can kind of learn about why they actually should be um, paying more attention towards um, taking care of the the health of their eyes. And you know, one of the aims of the World Sight Day is to, is to promote um, eye health awareness and to advocate for access to quality eye care services. Um, it focuses on global attention on vision impairment and blindness, and vision impairment affects people of all ages. This is something we need to remember. It's not just it's not mm. just the elderly. This is something yeah. which people as young as you and I can can even have even even younger. Um, you know, with the major majority being those over fifty. Um, yeah. But the vision impairment and blindness can have major, long-lasting effects on all aspects of everyday life. Um, just another few couple of facts is that you know blindness affects daily tasks such as interacting with people, community, school, work opportunities, access to public services. Um, so, you know, so, you know, World Sight Day was, was created in, two, in the year 2000 as part of the Sight First campaign. Mm. And from then on, it's become like more world, more widely celebrated. Yeah. Um, it's also become a day to, re- to remind all the pro- all to prioritize the, the eye health and get regular checkups. I mean, we all get, I'm sure we all get... Um, we get those emails and calls and texts and saying you're due an eye test now so yeah. it's all about like <laughs> well, when do you when do you start actually going like oh, I think I should go now and yeah. finally get it checked up yeah literally I mean obviously you know if it, if it comes if it does become a hindrance then obviously people would actually go there and prioritise that as well but obviously it's a financial thing as well isn't it at, the end, of the, at the end of the day if you might you might know that you need glasses you might know that your vision is impaired or you you know it's, it's blurry you can't see properly but if you don't have the money or the you know the the assistance, the funding, then that's a, that's a major concern as well. Um, let's speak to our let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us, Sumrana Yasmin, who's an international development professional with more than fifty year, fifteen years of experience in public health, with a particular focus on uh, on eye health. Um, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, what are some, just to begin with, so what are some of the goals of uh, Sight Savers? Uh, 
Thanks. Um, Sightseavers' vision is of a world where no one is blind or visually impaired from avoidable causes, and where people with disabilities participate equally in, in our society. Uh, and when it comes to our eye health program, our overall goal is to make sure that we contribute towards increasing equitable and sustainable access to inclusive eye health services for everyone, with a very particular focus on low and middle resource settings, women and girls, people with disabilities, and marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, SciSavers is actually is you know it's it's an international organization that actually works in in, in over 30 low and middle yeah. income countries to end you know uh, avoidable blindness as well so it's, it is a very good thing that you guys are doing um but why why do you celebrate world sight day in october what's the significance of this as well we touched upon this a little bit before how it started in okay. uh, in to, in the year 2000 but tell us a little bit more about this um, so World Sight Day is observed annually on the second Thursday of October. Um, it is a global awareness day, which primarily aims to draw attention to the importance of good eye health and clear vision, and how we need to focus on avoidable blindness and vision impairment. This World Sight Day, uh, Sight Savers is calling on global leaders to end the geographical inequity of eye health services. And for us, this means is that everyone should have access to the services and assistive products like classes as and when they need it. Uh, Every year there is a different theme um, and we try to make sure that uh, in, in the countries where we work along with our partners, we host different activities. Uh, we are working in Africa and Asia. Uh, so working with our local partners in ministries of health, uh, we engage in activities like conducting eye health screenings and provision of classes and surgical interventions as needed. Um, this year, many of our partners are also creating an eye creation, which so making the shape of an eye with different items or people and sharing this on social media to raise awareness about eye health. Mm-hmm. Now, Sightsaver's vision is, uh, you know, it's, it's of a world where no one is uh, is blind from avoidable causes that you know that that causes blindness as well, and uh, disabilities, particularly in uh, in 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 these uh, impoverished uh, countries. So how how does uh, how does Sightsaver actually, you know, uh, do that? So we follow a system strengthening approach, and this means that in the countries where we work, we engage with our local partners, and that includes ministries of health, ministries of um, education, because when it comes to vision impairment, uh, we need to focus on school health programs as well. Um, We also work with uh, non-profit organizations in the country, to support and develop eye health services at tertiary, secondary, primary, and community level. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then we, we see in, in the places where we know that the right human resource is not available to provide those services, then we engage with the local partners to build the capacity of different eye health professionals, primarily clinical professionals, to train them so they can go back to their communities and provide those services. Right, right. 
Now, with this in mind, with your vision in mind, uh, so I say with vision in mind, some studies actually suggest that blindness, uh, or you know, blindness cases will actually increase over the decades. Um, why is that then? And if it does increase, then how do how does uh, SciSafers actually sort of uh, plan to tackle that? You are absolutely right. Uh, if you look at the current projections, it suggests that the number of people with visual impairment will significantly grow in the next decade or so. Particularly if we didn't focus on addressing this issue as a sector. So just for example, we know that by 2030, the number of people with myopia is projected to increase to cover over 3 billion people. And myopia is, is a condition which can be easily corrected with an eye examination and provision of glasses. Why it is? Uh, this is due to many factors, and that, that includes like global population growth, environmental factors, our current educational or work practices where we spend lots of time doing near vision work or, or focusing on screens, mm. uh, less time spent on outdoor activities for children, lifestyle changes, and then uh, aging population. So what we need to focus on, not just as an organization, but as a sector, that we effort to improve our health. Um, so we need to keep up with these demographic trends and more needs to be done to address inequities, particularly in context of rural and remote communities and marginalized groups who otherwise would not have access to these services. Absolutely. Because, you know, if we manage... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah uh, because with evidence, we know that if we manage to tackle these issues, children will have access to services. They'll be able to learn in schools adults can earn and increase their, you know, opportunities in life. And from our perspective, eye health equals a ripple effect on the lives of individuals, families, communities, and it will eventually then lead towards um, universal access to eye care for all, leading poverty, reducing poverty and inequality. Absolutely. So, Marana, so one of the main goals of, you know, the World Sight Day is to raise awareness about um, I health, I healthcare. So, you know, for those who are listening to the show right now, for our listeners, how can they help to raise this awareness? As a starting point, this year, listeners can get involved uh, with our eye creation activity, different side day. And as I mentioned earlier, this means building the shape of an eye, capturing it with a photo or time lapse video, and sharing it on on your social media channels. Uh, appreciate if you can tag site savers um, they can also donate to help us transform the lives of people with vision impairment and other disabilities it doesn't take much to provide an eye examination a spectacle to child or, or support a cataract operation in, in fast lung uh, communities in africa and for this i would request our listeners to visit our website www.sitesavers.org all for more information and then it's really important that all of us are aware of our own eye health so making sure that we seek support get an eye examination when we feel the need 
And talking about vision impairment will also help us raising awareness. So I'm really appreciative of this um, invitation and the way you are contributing towards raising awareness about the importance of good eye health and clear vision and how it can contribute to our overall well-being. That's our pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. But I mean, I have like um, just going a little bit off on a tangent. Um, You know, it's not just about, um, you know, wearing glasses and um, or getting eyes checked and stuff. I think is there not also a link between, you know, our our lifestyles as well, the the food we eat, the way that we live our lives, you know, the screen time that we have, all these kind of things are probably factors that we can probably control that affect the way that you know, the, the affect the health of our eyes in the first place. Is that, is that, is that something you can say on that? Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons um, we are looking at the projections that we have in terms of blindness and vision impairment in incoming years is related to lifestyle. Um, and one of the things that we now advocate for, and it is also part of World Health Organization's recommendation, is making sure that we advise children who have refractive error um, to to spend at least 90 minutes outdoors per day so they can have exposure to all what needs to be uh, done in terms of our activities of life. uh, And then we can focus on reducing the progression of, of conditions like myopia. We know that diabetes is on rise, and uh, that is directly linked to uh, what we eat. Uh, and if diabetes is not managed in a proper way, it leads to diabetic retinopathy, and that can lead to blindness as well. So, yeah, spending uh, time taking care of our ocular hygiene uh, and and see what we eat and spending time outdoors uh, exercising all of this can help us change those trends is, is there is there anything that we can actually eat that can uh, make our eyesight better because there are I don't know if it's true or not, but some people do say that, you know, if you eat, you know, the carrots, carrots, yeah. Yeah, carrots or other things, <laughs> some nuts as well, maybe that will make your eyesight better. Is that is that is there any truth to that? All vegetables are good to eat. They provide <laughs> us the right nutrition, not only for eyes, but, but you know, overall uh, health. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on just carrots. You're not going to speak in favor of the carrots. <laughs> Eating healthy is is really important for our overall health. So uh, that's one message that yeah we we should take forward, whether we have uh, eye related uh, condition or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so f- one final question, sorry, before we end, um, Samrana. Just just let for for our listeners and for ourselves as well here in the studio. How many people have sight savers actually helped so far? Something that's probably what everyone's been wanting to know. Thank you. As you mentioned earlier, that we work in more than uh, 30 countries in in Africa and Asia, and we've been working since last um, seven decades. Um, And during that time, we have supported more than 1.7 billion treatments for neglected tropical diseases. We have carried out more than 8.7 million cataract operations to restore sight. 
we've carried out uh, more than 216 million eye examinations and then dispensed more than 6.1 million classes. We've also supported more than 190,000 children with disabilities and visual impairment to attend school every year. Um, these are the numbers, and, and numbers are, are good. But one of the things that I feel really proud of is um, that how our programs uh, are, are based on system strengthening approach. And this means working very closely with government partners like Ministries of Health and Education, nonprofit sector, community-based organizations, and most importantly, organizations of people with disabilities. And this is the focus that then help us to build the capacity at the national or sub-national level in the countries where we work. Uh, so eventually there is, uh, you know, no need for international development organizations mm -hmm. to, to take that work forward. So working closely with those systems uh, is really heart of what we do. That's, that's fantastic and eye-opening and <laughs> excuse the pun, um, but I mean it's it's really <laughs> it's really heartwarming. Uh, I like I mean, it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of uh, um, see billions of people have um, have benefited from from the work that you're doing, and it's fantastic. And I've seen firsthand actually in 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 Benin where where how such you know eye operations, cataract operations, and you know eye eye checkups how they really affect the lives of the people down the ground. And for us, it might seem yeah. trivial, something which you probably have to do every every few months or so. But for them, having that eye test and you know diagnosing whatever issues they have and preventing further further damage to their eyes is, is something which you know really changes their lives. So I thank you again for you know for the work that you're doing, and of course for also wow. coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Samrana, for for joining us, and uh, have the have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate your support. Take good care. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Sumrana Yasmin, who is an international development mm. professional with more than 15 years of experience in the public health, uh, with particular with a particular focus on eye health, social inclusion, gender equality globally. So, I mean, so, as I said, fantastic work that yeah, they're doing. Fantastic. It's, um, <laughs> I'm not going to use the pun again, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, just the numbers, the sheer numbers of the people that they've helped over the years. Um, it's, it's something which... Um, as I said, life changing for yeah. for us. It might seem just a small thing get get an eye check yeah. up, you know, but changing yeah, glasses yeah. a little bit. But um, but for them, it's like it's a big thing. Yeah, it's a really it's a really so fixing a, a big issue that they probably previously wouldn't have ever had any hope to do yeah, so. Literally, literally. Yeah. I mean, it's it, I mean that is what Islam is all about as well, as well isn't it? Serving other people, um, regardless of uh, regardless of our differences as well. Yeah, um, just for just for the benefit of uh, of mankind. We've actually got an, uh, a brief audio clip that we can actually listen to as well, where His Holiness actually talks about, Mirabi's helper talks about serving mankind and humanity with love and compassion, regardless of our differences as well. So let's listen to that right now. Again and again, the Prophet Muhammad said that his followers should utilize all of their God-given abilities for the sake of others. He went as far as saying that his followers should set aside all forms of religious differences and even seek to help and comfort those who oppose them. Therefore, this is the level and standard that Ahmadi Muslims 
should reach for, whereby they put aside all differences and are ever ready to help all people irrespective of their backgrounds. <clears throat> Only when a person reaches this standard can it be said that they are serving humanity with the required spirit. Like I said, that, that is what Islam is all about, serving mankind, serving humanity, um, regardless of what our differences, our differences are or may be, and just doing our bit to, to, help, uh, to help humanity you know, stand up on their own feet. And uh, and serving them as much as as much as possible. That's why we have like eye clinics and stuff, and you know we have people from Humanity First, our charity that goes around the world and helps the people mm. the most deprived and gives them free eye care as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's uh, we're coming towards. Uh, I mean, the news is quite is looming right now, so we are going to be taking a short break for the news, and then uh, maybe we can I mean we draw a conclusion to this part of the show. After the news, we'll go into our our next topic, which is about Black History Month. So join us after that. Until uh, until that, uh, we'll see you then. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show here on the voice of Islam radio um like uh, like we said before in this part of the show we are talking about uh, or celebrating black history month uh, as it is you know we are in October and uh, you know this month is actually dedicated to black history month as also well. What's this all about? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, let's 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 be clear. It's uh, it's Black History Month UK. Um, mm. So it celebrates and honors the contributions of Africans to British society and focuses on understanding Black history in general. And um, some people may be asking, what is Black History Month in the UK? Well, it is a celebration acknowledging which acknowledges the worldwide, which is acknowledged worldwide that aims to promote and celebrate those with African uh, and Caribbean heritage, mm. uh, and to get a better understanding of Black history in general. Um, so this actually gives us the ability to share, celebrate and learn the history and impact of black heritage and culture. So African Caribbean and Caribbean backgrounds have always been a key part of British history. So, you know, just giving a bit more awareness about that and raising that, uh, letting the general population know exactly what kind of contributions they have been uh, to the society which have been integral. Uh, that is something which the Black History Month in the UK um, aims to aims to do to, to get awareness about that. Um a little bit about the you know the history of the month. This was the the event was discovered by Carter G. Wooden, also known as the father of Black history, uh, who was who was born in 1875 to former slaves, and due to his background, he had limited access to education and job opportunities. Uh, but even then, he was able to study at one of the of the few high schools for Black students, after saving money by working as a coal miner. Um, so he then, what he did was he further gained education, including a PhD in history from Harvard University, and uh, became a professor at the at Howard University in 1926. Uh, he made the first Black History Week set in February to go with the birth of former President Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Hmm. 
So, you know, this event then expanded in, in 1970. Uh, and since 1976, every US president has an officially designated February as Black History Month in the USA. Right. Um, you know, but over time, the momentum and support of civil rights movements in 1960s, um, you know, this this week gradually evolved into a month as it is today. So this is what we find it now. And in the UK, um, it is now celebrated in uh, in October. Hmm. Um you know, so what what are some of the ways that we can celebrate Black History Month? Um, we, we can we can talk about we can talk about you know some, some of the different ways and uh, you know how we can celebrate that as well. Um, we you know let's, let's speak to our guests. Let's speak to our first guest of this part of the show, and we can you know, get some more insight in regards to this as well. Um, Nana Agi Man is an award winning uh, social entrepreneur who is the CEO and founder of Access UK African. Caribbean careers and employment support services in here in the UK and uh, this career solution provider delivers cult- culturally competent IAG services to counter systemic inequalities within the British labour market so it's quite quite interesting and um, so p- uh, peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the show Nana good morning sir how are you okay yeah we're good we're good here in the studio how are you doing this morning fantastic fantastic yeah, it's good good to Thank have you. you good to have you on the show um, just to begin with, how, how does Black history, how has that shaped Britain uh, to be as it is today? That's a very, very good question. Um, I mean, black people have been in this country uh, pre, you know, the 50s and 60s, uh, not a mass, but, you know, small pockets within, within the UK. And mm. A lot of people don't know that history. But um, in terms of the, the, the core kind of group that came in, uh, after the, the the Second World War, i.e. the Wigmore generation, yeah. um, you know they were they came in to essentially rebuild the country after the war. So right. um, you know the NHS, uh, the jobs that you know the the the, the, the British didn't want to do, out, you know, in, in the UK, etc. So you know that was a, that was like the, the significant contribution coming off the back of that. Obviously, they brought in their food, their culture, um, you know brought more kind of variants to the food that we they eat over here. Yeah. Um, you know, the the, the 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 also obviously going back a little bit a little bit you know, further back, the the, the 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 in terms of the empire, the British Empire, that was off the backs invariably of, you know, the exploitation and extraction of wealth from, you know, from Asia, from Africa, etc. So when we talk about contribution and yeah. shaping Britain yeah. Britain was built off the back of that wealth, um, you know, going back a bit further back. Um, and if you go back even further, if you talk about when we talk about Black history, obviously the Nile Valley civilization, um, where many Greeks were schooled in that particular region of the world, which is, which is in Africa, and then thereby, you know, obviously influencing Western Europe as well on uh, mass. So basically, the transition of knowledge from Africa. Mm. To Europe, and obviously the you know Britain was was a beneficiary of that knowledge. Um, yeah, and again, like I said earlier, the, the colonization, yeah. the extraction of minerals, natural resources, etc. That was all worked to to build the Britain that we see today. Tell, tell us a little bit about the prominent figures, the the, the key figures of uh, of, uh, of Black history. What are, what are their contributions towards the towards the movement? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a there's a there's a key person, 
a gentleman called Mr. Sebo, hmm. Mr. A. Sebo. Um, and the, the, the story, there's, there's two kind of uh, reasons why Black History Month was set up over here. And I think the two, the cool one was that he had a, he visited America in the 1970s, um, you know, just on a trip. And obviously he was influenced by the American version of Black History Month. And he also had a chance conversation with a colleague at work where the, co- the colleague told him that um, her son had actually, had actually stated that he wanted to be white. Mm. So so obviously it was so shocking to him that he realised that it had to be, yeah. there had to be more kind of a, a focus on black history, people gaining knowledge of, of their self, their past, etc., which was inspired, which was inspiring. So I think that those were the two key components of that. Um, components of, 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 of him setting up Black History Month over here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the, the other side of it is obviously to challenge the negative stereotypes, the fact that, you know, most, uh, you know, most young people and black people in general are not, haven't got any access or didn't have any access back then to their history on the curriculum, etc. So it was, it was basically the basis of that, but he was a main kind of instigator or the main person proponent behind uh, Black History Month. Mm -hmm. So none of this, um, there'll be those who say like, you know, in this day and age now, you know, even, you know, black people have the right, same rights as white people. And I'm playing the devil's advocate. There'll be those who say that. Yeah. And they'll say like, why do we play play God's advocate? We don't play play devil's advocate. Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah, go ahead. And there'll be those who say, like, you know, what's the what's the importance of celebrating Black History Month and remember the significance of this history? Like, you got to a stage where, um, you know, you almost have the same equalities. But actually, if you look at the root, there's a lot of places where the inequality still exists. So if you could just answer that. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, the, the data doesn't say what you're, doesn't concur with what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, what, you, what you have in the community is that you usually have successful individuals, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, you name it, but individuals are not the sum total of a condition of a people. Yeah, when you're looking at the condition of a people, you have to look at the whole spectrum, not just individual success stories. So you know we can't really use that to to say anything. I mean, one fifty percent um, of black families are living below the poverty line. This is an official data, so that gives you the context. And um, in many cases, we're still at the bottom of the social economic ladder. But in terms of the importance of black history. I think what we have to understand is that um, black history is not just for black people. Yeah, black black history is essentially world history. Mm. And if you really want to be scientific, and you know, you really want it to be taken there, the, 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 there's only the, 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 there's only there's one. The, all human beings on the earth come from that part of the earth. To understand. Mm. We're, we all come from Africa, whether you're Asian, whether you're European or whatever else, that's where humanity started from. So, you know, black history is world history. Um, you, can't, also, you, you can't then understand but, why there's like white supremacism and all this division, like when we all come from the same people, we all, you know, uh, stem from one from one person. And, you know, this is this is this is the point that, you know, we should we should really remember. I think that's one of the things that you're trying to say is yeah. that it helps us to understand how we are, you know, as a, as a people, we are one. And we are from the same source, Absolutely. so we should not I mean, be fighting yeah. with ourselves. Yeah, no at all. Um, Remember, race is a social construct. There's no scientific basis to have to that term race. Races. There's no scientific basis. There's only one human race on the earth, and exactly. like I said, 
the science, every any prominent science who's, who's got any credibility knows that all human beings come from Africa. And, you know, we need to see different colors of that. That's an extension of moving out of, of Africa, you know, the environment and et cetera, et cetera. We could go on forever about that. But what I'm, what I'm going back to your point is that why black issue is important today is, um, you know, the second point is that it raises the cultural and self-esteem of young black, of young black youth who are continuously bombarded with negativity, you know, from the media, from, you know, everywhere in society. So once you're under that kind of kosh, once you're under that kind of pressure, it's important for you to have an understanding of where you are in a, in a grand scheme of things. So you don't internalize the hatred, you don't internalize all the, the rubbish that's out there. So it's important to remind young, 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 young people in particular, young black people, of this history. Um, and like I said, it's beneficial for everybody in society as well because it breaks down barriers. It's an opportunity for uh, other communities to learn from, you know, that history yeah. and vice versa. You know, it, it gives an opportunity to interact and learn from each other and, and understand that we've got more in common than what separates us. Absolutely. Um, you know, so um, I think I think I think that's the reason why it's important. You know, you know, it's it's it's, it's um, it gives a foundation, as it were, for for success. I mean, there's notable, there's notable, um, you know, people figures in Black history, people like Malcolm X, for example, who, having gained knowledge of himself, changed his whole trajectory of his life. He was, you know, living, he was in imprisoned, he was basically a drug dealer. You know, he's doing all kinds of unsavory things. But once he gained that knowledge of himself. That completely transformed his trajectory, um, you know. And empowered him in a way. Exactly. It's, it's a form of empowerment um, once you know the, the real history. Now, another, another important thing to add is that, as well is that the focus on, on slavery is often detrimental to that growth. So what black historians do is that they go back pre, pre-enslavement to look at what Africans were doing what black people were doing prior to that contact with Europeans. What were black people doing? What did they build? You know, what, what, what's the, what were their achievements? And once you expose that history, again, it gives, it gives these young people confidence, motivation, doors, doors up their cultural esteem, and so forth and so forth. Yeah. I mean, Nana, we could go on for, for hours about this, but Indeed. and you mentioned how it helps you know, with the self-esteem and helps them to uh, empower themselves with that knowledge um, so my my next question really just really stems from that in in another way that how does Access UK support young people with employment? I mean that's another another field which is you know where there's filled with inequality as well. How does it help them? Yeah, absolutely. So to give you context, um, one in two young black people uh, between the ages of eighteen and twenty four are unemployed in the UK on average. Yeah. So this is irrespective of whether you know there's there's a recession or you know booms and busts etc that's invariably it's been like that for years which tells you that um there's something else more going on so the number one reason why there's that discrepancy i mean there's loads of others but the number one reason is uh employer discrimination so let me give you an example how this works so you know none of the ajman's got a first class degree he applies for work with somebody called john smith uh, who's got a first-class degree? We apply for work. We know statistically, John Smith will get more interviews than Nana Ajman. That's that's a fact, mm-hmm. um, because John Smith is deemed to be white European, and Nana Ajman is deemed to be quote unquote a foreigner. Yeah. 
Mm. So that that's a base level. That's a kind of how it kind just of just the name in itself is enough to discriminate. Just, just, yeah. uh, uh, absolutely, and this is just fact. It's got nothing to do with you know people's opinions. Um, so what Access UK does is the, we help that individual, whether they may be a graduate, undergraduate, you know, no qualifications, and all else in between, to circumvent the challenges that we know that are out there. So we provide uh, culturally bespoke and culturally competent career services aimed at improving the outcome for young well, young black people and also people from ethnic minority backgrounds, whether they're Asians or wherever they may be. We help them to circumvent these issues. We have a lot of ring fence opportunities. We have a lot of contacts with, you know, uh, employers, etc., who are looking for that so-called Bain talent or black talent. Um, and, 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 and we also help, we, we also enrich them, like cultural training, you know, uh, the historical stuff, which we're talking about now, to give them that confidence and that, and that awareness, just to basically hold their hand and, and see them through the, this, you know, yeah. Uh, this maze of, 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 of uh, you know, challenges that they face in society. So, yeah, we're, we're just, we're a careers service that's designed and structured to help that process. And like I said, our focus on employment, education, and enterprise, i.e., helping young these young entrepreneurs that are, are from you know these disadvantaged backgrounds to uh, to understand business, to set up their own businesses, and so forth and so forth. So that could be another solution to those you know the disparities in opportunities in in the job market. So we, we do we, we do it across the board. It's not just um, it's a kind of leveling the playing field for for those of ethnic minorities, you can say, or black. Um, heritage, but yeah, I mean, Nana, it's uh, as I said, we could we could talk about this for on and go on and on and on speaking about this Indeed. subject. Thank you very much, though, I mean, because of the because of time, I'll have to let you go. Uh, it's been no a pleasure. Problem. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I uh, hope you have a lovely rest of the day. I, I appreciate that. Take care. Thank Take care, much. sir. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was Nana Aguiman, who uh, is an award-winning social entrepreneur, who is the CEO of the found uh, and founder of Access UK, which we just spoke about. Hmm. Um, but I mean, we do have a. We've got our next uh, guest who's on the line with us as well, Angela Colhane, who is uh, the CEO of IBHM Heritage International, and their mission is to research, document, and share the long and varied contributions of African and Caribbean heritage people to British history. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Angela. Hello. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. Um, talking about talking about uh, Black History Month and how it's celebrated here in in October, tell us a little bit more about that. Why is that well, the case? Black, so Black History Month uh, originates from the US and was brought to Britain by Akifa Adesibio. Um He was a special projects officer at um, the Greater London Council, um, and he founded the UK version of Black History Month in 1987. It was just in response to an identity crisis for young black children um, uh, living in the UK caused by racism. Um, And so he chose October because it was the start of the school year uh, and it would be easier just to actually um, insert and talk about black history um, Mm. and black people's contributions to British history. Now, how talking about talking about this? How has the celebration of Black History Month changed over time? Well, initially, when it started um, back in 1987, it was very heavily focused on African American history, um, 
over time, it's become more UK-centric. So it's more focused now on celebrating and promoting UK black history. So, for example, our organisation is running a Before Windrush campaign Mm. uh, this Black History Month, which is exploring the lives of black Britons who were living and working in the UK before the arrival of Empire Windrush in 1948. The other thing is that when it was started, um, and at the time, because of the 1970s and 80s, uh, racism was rife, or overt racism, and it was um, Black History Month was uh, and black was a, um, an umbrella term that was used to cover all the different um, uh, groups living in the UK, so um, your Africans, your Caribbeans, your Asians, Southeast Asians. So it was an umbrella term that covered and all of their histories, and over time now it's now more focused on African and Caribbean uh, heritage people, and the other groups have their separate months, not there's a division, but I think there's a lot to cover, and it's much easier if you have dedicated months to cover those um, individual experiences. So, Angela, I mean, this something that crops up in my mind is that you know, if this, this began in in the US and was brought over to the UK, um, you know, what is the difference then between Black History Month in the UK and Black History Month in the USA? So, in a nutshell, it's when we look at um, in the UK, it's a completely different experience of when we talk about racism. And so uh, the US experience versus the UK experience. And so with hair, we're looking at how our experience within the UK. So within the UK, uh, the black population is made up of individuals who can trace their lineage back to the 1800s, the Windrush generation of the 1960s and 70s and new arrivals from the African continent. So it's important that we tell those stories and their contributions to UK society. Um, It exists to tell their stories, which is a completely different experience from something that is um, in America. I mean, as it's been going on, Black History Month has been happening for a number of years now and decades. in your experience, has the diversity in culture in British society changed over time? Has it had played an effect on it or not? Definitely. Um, so the Britain that um, the Caribbean and West African immigrants, also uh, in, um, immigrants from Asia uh, back in the 1960s and 70s, well, accounted, I'd say, I'd say, essentially from the 1940s up until the 1980s, that's disappeared, that over the racism that they experienced and the battles that they fought so that we have the race relations that the world that the uk that we live in now um has completely changed it's a completely different world from where it was back in the 40s to 1980s those individuals black britons like louis constantine paul botang claudia Diaz, they've helped britain become a multi-ethnic country that it is today. Um, and what I want to say is that it's not all flowers and roses. Um, the overt racism has disappeared. We've still got a long way to go yet. Still covert, isn't but, it? Still underlying. Yes, yes, definitely. But I think the key thing here is that um, having Black um, UK Black History Month is a chance for us to reflect on the advancements made, to recognise and celebrate those Black Britons who've made an impact, big or small, to the UK. 
It's also opened the other door, door to other heritage months, which are the Asian and Southeast Asian heritage months that run July slash August and September, respectively. And that's also a chance because I think sometimes in the story that's lost, um, there was a focus on the Windrush generation, but there were other immigrant groups living in the UK who fought battles to create the UK that it, we have now. Um, and each of those months uh, exists to tell those stories, those contributions that um, aren't told um, at school, aren't taught at school, uh, and that's a separate conversation. Yeah. And I think the reality is that some topics will be covered in school eventually, but not everything. So these Heritage Months exist to tell those stories because they won't be earned to provide the space to tell those stories. Angela, let's, uh, I wish you all the luck in this mission and I hope and hopefully we see we go forward in strides um, in, in helping to you know, build that equality and to bridge yeah. that gap and to, you know, to, to show that you know, the, the efforts and the contributions of, of black uh, people has, have been incredible to this country and you know, integral to the society that we live in today and hopefully we can continue in that in that direction thank you very much for joining us um you know it's been a pleasure and i uh, hope you have a lovely rest of the day thank you thank you so much i hope you have a good day too. thank you very much. much bye right so that was uh angela colhane um who is the ceo of ibhm heritage international um i mean it's, it's clear that you know despite all the progress that has been made over the decades there's still a lot of work to do hmm. um still you know to make to make people of all backgrounds and of all heritages um you know feel equal yes there's still a lot of work to do and hopefully you know with the work that they are doing we can we can build towards a more beautiful society absolutely absolutely we were fortunate enough to speak to vic motun who is uh who's a news editor of the voice who has also served as the newspaper's community news editor um and uh, you know spoke a little bit uh, more about this black history month and uh, the history of the of the black history movement here in the UK and where where, where it represents how it's celebrated in school so let's listen to what he had to say I'm pleased to know that uh, we have Vic Montino uh, on the line. Uh, he's the news editor of The Voice, has served as the newspaper's community news editor, and in his roles he's produced a range of investigations on issues such as efforts to tackle the trafficking of uh, African children, inequalities in the mental health system, uh, and also about uh, British politics and the need to have diversification in there and the rise of uh, black tech entrepreneurs. So thank you very much for coming on to to speak to us on The Voice Islam, Vic. Um, Tell me, what is um, Black History Month? Black History Month is basically, it's a national celebration uh, which aims to um, promote and celebrate uh, black contributions to British society and to foster an understanding um, of black history in general. Um, it's already, I mean, it basically goes back to, the origins of it go back, go back to the 1920s in the United States and the establishment of something called uh, Negro History Week in, you know, back in the US. Um, the person behind it was a, uh, a very well-known black American uh, historian and scholar called Carter G. Woodson. Um, so it was founded as Negro History Week. And um, 
you know, when Carter Woodson founded this event, he had a number of goals, um, one of which was to basically expose school children to African-American history. But he also wanted to um, contribute to equality in society by um, showing, um, you know, people of color, African-Americans, how much of the country's growth stemmed from the contributions of black people. So that's kind of like its its origin. Uh, that evolved into Black History Month in the US and it was marked every February. Um, and then it basically was it was in the in the late nineteen eighties that it was launched in the UK. Um, uh, so we that's nineteen eighty seven was the first Black History Month in you know in Britain. And um, that was really as a result of um, local community activism, uh, challenging racism in general in, in British society, and um, kind of Eurocentric versions of history that seemed to dominate the state school system, you know, at the time. So, so yeah, it, it, it came to Britain in 1987. And one of the key figures behind it was a man called Ekyaba Adai Sebo, um, who came to the UK from Ghana as a refugee. And like Woodson, he wanted to challenge the predominant narrative, you know, of black people um, and provide a, an alternative narrative to, to racism, uh, you know, in the UK. And October was chosen partly because it's a time when, you know, African leaders kind of gather uh, together to talk about key issues. Um, but partly because it was the start of the school year. So that's its kind of um, origin, you know, in terms of its uh, existence as an event in the UK. Mm. Do you think having a month is sufficient uh, to redress the, the balance, I suppose, or to correct the narrative of, uh, of black people and the contribution they have made to humanity? Well, it's definitely one of the kind of the criticisms of you know black history month um you know because you know there are some people who say that it's kind of condescending because given the fact that you have um you know uh black history month people see it as a kind of excuse to ignore black history for the rest of the year and mm. it, some people say that it's a mechanism for separating you know, see black history from, um, you know, see British history. And, you know, there are arguments that rage on, you know, kind of both sides. Um, and kind of what I would say is, is that, you know, certainly, you know, you can have it as part of the calendar, but in no way does that mean that you ignore black history um, for, you know, see the, the, the rest of the year. And certainly, you know, if you look, for example, us as a newspaper, we kind of, you know, right throughout the year, carry stories of historical significance, you know, in all, you know, in all, all parts of, of the year, number of things happening. Uh, most prominently, there have been a number of, um, you know, kind of campaigns to honour and remember people like Mary Seacole. Um, there have been various fundraising campaigns to get a you know, a statue in her memory. Of course, another part of, you know, Black history, which, you know, isn't just highlighted in Black History Month, is, for example, 
um, the story of the Windrush generation. So um, in June, um, we marked 75 years of the first um, arrival of the Empire Windrush, you know, in Britain. And, um, you know, certainly at the inaugural um, Windrush Day event, um, you know, back in 2018, which, which marked, um, you know, kind of 70, 70 years of, of Windrush, um, what, you, what you had was the then Prime Minister, Theresa May, um, leading celebrations, uh, various dignitaries talking about the contribution of the Windrush generation to the multicultural Britain that we know today. And, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, just sort of celebrating that and creating a debate around, you know, um, multi multiculturalism. And of course, you know, one of the other things you kind of have to, to look to is, is that um, authors, program makers, content creators are, you know, producing kind of documentaries, books, plays about various aspects of um, Britain's colonial history as it affected, you know, people in, you know, in the Africa and the Caribbean. So, you know, Black History Month is almost sort of like a kind of a fixture in the national calendar. But, you know, right throughout the year, there are events and things and, you know, um, cultural happenings that are taking place that, again, highlight the role that people from African and Caribbean heritage have played to Britain's national story. Oh, good. Thanks very much, uh, Rick Montagnier, news editor of The Voice. Thank you very much for coming on and enlightening us. I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was uh, an audio clip uh, of, uh, of an interview that we, that we did of, uh, of Vic. Uh, very interesting listening to him. Now we've got another uh, brief audio clip that we, that we want to play for you as well. Uh, which is of His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, in a concluding address at the annual convention of the United States of America in 1997. And he addresses the African Americans and what Islam says about uh, about race. It's quite historical. Let's listen to what His Holiness said. In the name of African Americans themselves, it's highly essential that they must universalize themselves with the attributes of unity. Then the rest of the world may look upon their skins as black, but Allah would look down, look upon their skins as the most shining, like the skin of Bilal, the Muslim of Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Bilal also belonged to a black race. But the message of Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah did not discriminate against Bilal in the least in any area of human association or treatment of uh, each other. He might have had Bilal in his mind or all the Bilal's of the world when during his last sermon he said Today, this holy day, I trampled down under my feet. That was His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. May Allah have mercy on him. And, the, you know, I mean, the message that he was giving was that exactly what Islam says 
that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in his farewell address, he said that there's you know when it comes to when it comes to your race, when it comes to your color, it's not something that has a superior superiority over the other because what he said that a white man has no superiority over a black man, nor does a black man have any has any superiority over a white man. So it's it's the deeds, it's your deeds, the good things that you do, your conduct, your behavior. These are the things that count, and these are the things which Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran that it's, it's, it's it is you know you, the righteous that are amongst you. That is something which Allah the Almighty likes. All of these differences, the races that we have, they are there for recognition. They are there for to you know, so we can different, differentiate between one another. So we can know that one person is from here, one person from there. But that doesn't mean that one is superior, one is inferior. His holiness always. Tells us, you know, the 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 current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad may Allah be his helper, that we shouldn't have any sort of inferiority complex, and with this, um, you know, it's it's important for us to um, celebrate what we have, to to be happy about who we are, and not to be fr- not not be frightened about uh, you know about other people saying you know saying you know harsh things or trying to uh, you know defame or ridicule. Other people as well. Verily, Allah the Almighty likes those people who are righteous. So that is, you know, something that we can conclude this part of the show. Um, we're going to be taking a short break, and right after, when we come back, we are going to be going into our final segment for this morning's breakfast show, and that is mainly to do with uh, with climate change. So let's listen. Uh, we'll, we'll just go to a short break. We'll listen to a, bro- a brief, uh, brief uh, audio clip, and then we'll come back. And then we'll go into that segment. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. We're going into our last segment for this morning. We're <clears throat> um, talking about climate change uh, in particular, and uh, there's, a, there's a story of how six young people are taking 32 countries to court by for you know for for failing to act against climate change, and the the claimants. Have said that they, you know, this goes against their humanitarian rights and has impacted their lives significantly. Um, tell us the, the ages of, <laughs> of of these young people. I mean, as in the six young individuals were from Portugal, and their the ages range from eleven to twenty four. So, as you said, they're taking legal action against thirty two governments, including the EU member states, the UK, and others. Uh, the European Court of Human Rights. It's incredible to think about it, right? Eleven-year-olds are filing law lawsuits and against big governments. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, it shows that there's some people when when you have a goal and they're determined to do it. Doesn't matter what your age is, they're they're all ready to fight for for this cause. They argued that these governments have not done enough to combat climate change and reduce greenhouse gas emissions in line with the Paris Agreement's goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's see the you know they contend that the increasing forest fires in Portugal 
are a direct consequence of global warming and the fundamental human rights, such as the right to life, privacy, and freedom from discrimination. Um, and these all, they say, they're all being violated due to government inaction. Hmm. So um, I can understand how um, you know they're being directly affected by by this climate change with the with the fires, forest fires going on. Um, yeah, we did see a lot of bushfires, a lot of forest fires um, in this year as well, isn't it? In European countries, and we saw it in in Portugal. Uh, we saw it in Greece. Greece, yes. Yeah. So in in, in Italy as well. Um, in in Turkey, there were some places also. Did, so there has been there has been quite a few places where uh, European countries, which sometimes you wouldn't really expect. Hmm. For you, I mean, Australia, America, you know, LA, and all of these countries. Um, you know, you you would sort of hear about them. Uh, you know, in you know in in the past, but European countries, you wouldn't really expect to to, to hear that. But still, we we saw that, and if it happened, we we're sort of likely to see that happen again in the future as well. So obviously, I mean, they are, I mean, they do have a point um, to, to go to the, you know, to go to the government and say that, you know, you need to do your bit uh, as well. Let's speak to, let's speak to our next guest who's on the line with us, Hanya Yaqub, um, who sh- would like to, you know, sh- shed some light or talk a little bit more about this as well. Asalaamu Alaikum, please be upon you. Welcome to the show. Wa Alaikum Thank you for having me on. And yes, uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, what what are your views then in regards to this, uh, you know, the, the, this uh, this topic, and also how these young people, young six people, are actually taking the countries to court? Um, what, what do you think uh, is was this the right approach as well? But who do you think are they right to actually blame the government? Yeah, I've been thinking about this, and I just heard, and I've been thinking about this as well. This was um, quite a very strong initiative that the young people have taken. So I don't want to comment. As I, I can, um, I want, I wanted to share my opinion. Is Mm -hmm. I don't think we can decide whether this is entirely the right thing to do, or whether it's um, that is the wrong thing to do. But I like um, what the youngsters are focusing on, and that is accountability. Mm. And I do agree. I can at least agree with that. That we we as human beings need to take um, need to take accountability for what we do, and I think um, the reason why I agree with the part of accountability at least is um, because when you look at our current data, because I know I've been recently reading about this as well, and I know that uh, most of the pollution that has caused climate change basically uh, actually comes from um, yeah wealthy wealthy countries, so it's um, usually the most um, it's obviously a given, but um, yeah, it, it does come from the wealthy countries. And um, actually, um, the signals, the signs that um, climate um, change was happening, that was ha- had already been given out back in the 1980s, I believe, or maybe 19. No, I think it was yeah, it was um, right. definitely 1980s. Mm. That we had enough time. I mean, we did have a lot of time to do something. We had a lot of time to put uh, restrictions on, to change our laws. Um, I mean, we recently started to put uh, a, a tax on using plastic bags, and using um, paper bags, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, some of the reason I think um, I agree with, um, yeah, with, um, with the people uh, who are trying to focus on accountability in, uh, on that part, at least. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. A quick question, um, because we've seen in our own country here in the UK as well how 
Rishi Sunak has uh, even uh, announced delays for, especially with the with the you know green green the you know the emissions that cars emit, and how how quickly we need to transition to more sustainable fuel and you know electric cars etc. Um, so it shows that you know even here in our own country we're not we're not um, fulfilling the pledge that we made in the Paris Agreement. Um, so I mean, what what this does this then open the eyes of the general populace? Um, of how they can actually, you know, take control and, um, you know, have them accountable as well. Why is it that not more people are coming forward to, you know, to bring these governments to account? Yeah, that's actually a really good question as well. I think there's just, uh, there are multiple answers for if we, I think everyone will have their own answers. I personally believe it's also um, perhaps because also due to comfort, um, we've been told it was a right to use electricity, to use fossil fuels, to cause which causes pollution, etc. And now it's not, um, we're not we are comfortable where we are, and doing um, tackling change would actually uh, require us to do something. However, now that pe- many people know that um, we need to change because pollution is actually quite. Um, yeah, has had this, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's basically not, uh, uh, it's basically causing harm. And um, I also believe one of the reasons why people are not um, um, putting as much emphasis as the youngsters are, it's because it's also the uh, income um, is based on the work, um, the workforce, basically, the jobs that they do requires the use of those fossil fuels, etc., and, um, and pollution and so on. Um, it's also um, it's also kind of um, it's also I guess it would cause some uh, problems regarding what they need to do because um, either you can make um, people have work get out of work and make them poor, poorer or etc. Which is why I understand why many people would probably not want to change their lifestyle if they have if they are earning a living if they um are obviously progressing in their career etc and moving on in life as they would probably think they would be doing um so whilst i can see why this would be difficult to do i don't think we need to immediately cut off all of the um things that cause pollution but we ha- we could put restrictions on them we could reduce the amount we are doing it and use any other ways that we can put more renewable resources on I mean, back then people didn't even think that we should put attacks on plastic bags, but just putting with extra charge has reduced um, the use of plastic bags by a massive uh, amount. So using just the small bits here and there, the small restrictions, and just increase them over time so that people can get used to it would probably be more helpful, perhaps, but I'm not entirely sure. But this is what I'm thinking in this regard. Um, so... Yeah, there may be a lot of reasons. Other people have a lot of things going on, of course. I do understand that. But, yeah, this is what I uh, think regarding this personally. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, you know, um, you know, uh, talking about this as well and, you know, giving us your, your, your opinion in regards to this and contributing to the show as well. Uh, Zakala, so much. Thank you. And uh, have a lovely day. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for having me. You know, there's something which is really... Um, which um, stuck out stuck out to me in in this story mm. is that these people who have come forward to um, you know to, to hold these gov- governments to account yeah. is that they're not actually seeking any financial compensation; they're just advocating for a greener, healthier world. Um, but on the other side, you know the you know the governments um, you know they argue that the claimants have not actually proven any link, 
any direct link between you know the suffering that they're going through and the climate change um to the you know the, the portuguese wildfires mm-hmm. so in a way like it does seem a bit like a david versus goliath situation where you know these little kids are standing up to you know yeah. giant enterprises yeah. or well, not enterprise like actual governments, governments yeah. um you know how on earth are they going to to win yeah. even if they don't win i think just the fact that um this story's gone out um has probably raised the awareness and probably the governments yeah. feel a bit more pressure in the public eye yeah. um and just as our just as our you know our caller just now she she mentioned a lot of the you know the ways that it's affecting these uh, especially uh, you know it affects everybody of course but young people want to see a brighter future exactly you know they're the ones who are going to have to live through the consequences of what's going on now that's true um and if the action is not made now then you know it's going to drastically affect and shape the future that they're going to live in in the world um you know and as his holiness hazrat mirza masrur ahmed may allah be his helper the you know the the current worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community he's mentioned again and again in his peace symposia etc how you know do we want to you know give our children do we want them to inherit a world of death and violence and you know and you know destruction mm. uh, which is going to you know happen due to this you know the injustices which are being perpetrated in this time exactly. and that, that also yeah. includes you know climate change as well um or do we want to um give them a world which is beautiful and and you know where you still thrives with life mm. what do we want Um, for us it's like we you know we're we're all here temporarily we're not here for forever and our time will come but they will then have to live with the consequences literally so you know his holiness has said it's good that you mentioned that as well because his holiness has also said on so many different occasions that yes climate change is 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 a major concern it, it is you know a, a big thing and it is something to worry about and action needs to be taken by governments by people who in, in authority yeah. people who are in power but at the same time where we have these conflicts happening in different parts of the world you know right now there's a conflicts happening in the, in the middle east you know palestine israel if you know if if it escalates and other nations get involved and just like you know we mentioned right in the beginning that there are other nations which are looking to supply ammunition looking to supply these um you know the, the arsenal literally to these countries and supplying them with guns supplying them with tanks or supplying them with missiles or whatever whatever the ammunition that they do supply that's going to cause destruction and with all of these destructions the more you know the more ammunition which is fired the more destruction there is obviously yeah, we can't we can't forget like you know as you're saying Yeah. It's not just lost to human life, it's lost to habitats and literally you know, the whole literally. The environment whole, is being is being is being uh, affected by this and destroyed in fact. Exactly. So it's not just a case of let's just kill um you know the perpetrators or kill whoever we're fighting. It's everything around is collateral damage. It's, literally, it's, it's it, collateral there's damage. no way you yeah. can distinguish between this tree and you know that uh, that exactly. nest of this 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 bird or whatever. Exactly. And and the terrorist it's going to destroy everything it's in with everything that, that, in, in, in that area, yeah. In this way. So when you do that obviously there there will come a time I mean that's going to affect the climate as well isn't it yeah and obviously if more and more nations get involved then it can escalate to to not just that region but it can escalate to a, a wider perimeter as well so it's something which you know the western nations they 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 you know you talk about climate change being a very big thing and of course it is but if we're supplying them 
if these nations are supplying them with with ammunition and they are using them as well, I mean, with one hand they're saying one thing and with the other hand they're saying something else. We're do- they're doing something else. So it's even if we do our bit, say here in the UK, we do our bit and we get our carbon emissions, let's just say we get them to zero. Mm. That's not going to make any difference if, if in the Middle East or in Africa the infrastructure is not there or in parts of Asia the infrastructure is not there to combat climate change. So it's, I mean, I mean because... It has to be a collective effort. It has to be a collective effort, isn't yeah. it? It has to be a collective effort. Because, I mean, effort. even if we're a model uh, for all of mm. the world in terms of... Yeah. Uh, which we're not. Um, yeah, which we're not, but... If, if we, even if we were, it, there's only so much only impact so we much can impact. have. Exactly. Everybody has to has to play their role. I guess, you know, they're trying to bring the, the, the governments to account for this, yeah. accountability, but... We all have to play our own role as well, exactly. you know, whether, whether it's recycling or planting trees, and these are the things that which the things, you know, that practical we, things, practical yeah. things that we can actually do uh, to help the environment. And something as Muslims as well, I think you and I we've we've uh, been through so many different uh, places where they've encouraged us to to plant trees, to yeah. give blood, to help you know to help humanity, to help the the environment, um, to look after the world that we that we live in. This is all just parts of uh, religion which generally teach us to um, to do. Absolutely. We've got a brief audio clip as well of His Holiness that, you know, he will tell us, or he has told us uh, what we can do in, to, in regards to combat climate change. Let's listen to that uh, right now. You see, this climate change problem is the issue everywhere, all across the world. And especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing in numbers without any proportion. Just to accommodate this population, you are increasing your residential areas. And because of increasing the residential areas, you are cutting the forest. So this deforestation is also causing climate change. So whenever you cut any tree, you should plant two trees to replace that tree. And whenever your population is increasing, you should also increase in that area where there is already some clear area, not that you do deforestation. And apart from that, fuel consumption should also be reduced. That was the advice of His Holiness. I mean, and that's all we have time for uh, in today's show as well. Thank you so much for listening to all of our guests who took time out and spoke to us today. Today's show was uh, produced by Nafisa and Tamsila and uh, the researchers were uh, Jaziba Khan, Razia Chaudhary, Sara Chaudhary, Hana, uh, Hanan Ashraf Maliha Kamar. And uh, thank you to the technical department, Nurdin. Uh, thank you for, uh, for you know uh, speaking to, uh, with you as well, presenting with pleasure. you. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.